Hi everyone and welcome to the Poem Out podcast. It's really great to have you all here today. I'm your host, James Prescott, um, and I'm delighted to welcome um, the Reverend Sarah Heath to the podcast today. Um, welcome, Sarah. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah, yeah. Um, Sarah is um, speaking to us all the way from the west coast of America, I think. Um, yes, I'm in California. Yeah. <laughs> um, where she is pastor of a church, and um, she also does a bit of writing and a bit of art as well, um, which is very good. Um, Thank you. Um, yeah, so we're going to talk a bit about all sorts of things today. Um, yeah, so Sarah, just tell us tell us your story, um, like how you got to be doing what you're doing and that kind of thing. Um, well, I uh, I guess my story starts that I am, you'll love this part, I'm born to a British mother and a Canadian father. Oh, wow. um, I was born in uh, Canada, actually, and uh, grew up there until I was about 14 and then moved to Mississippi. Um, when I lived in Mississippi, we became part of the United Methodist Church. Um, I grew up in United Church of Canada, although faith was um, something that kind of was part of our lives, but I wouldn't say was our uh, our only thing going on. And so I never thought I would be a pastor by any way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, when I was in college, started working with a youth group. And uh, even though I was studying biology and psychology and art and acting and all kinds of stuff, I, uh, I really kind of... Um, loved my time with my youth group the most. Um, I was a sorority girl and super busy, but I found all my free time was being spent with these uh, teenagers. Mm. And sort of that was the beginning of my call. So I shared that with my college pastor who said to me, we've just been waiting for you to discover that. And I was like, I wish you told me sooner. So I hadn't changed my major so many times. Um, but I ended up uh, becoming uh interested in going into ministry. Never thought I would be a preaching pastor, just thought I would work with youth and college students. I went to seminary, but still unsure uh, if that was really what I wanted to do. Um, So I applied to a school that's kind of difficult to get into here, uh, Duke University in North Carolina, Mm -hmm. and uh, hoping in some ways that maybe I wouldn't get in. (laughs) And I took my, I remember taking my application to uh, one of my professors who said, I always knew you'd be a doctor. And I'm like, actually, I'm not going to medical school there. I'm going to divinity school there. Um, oh, wow. So I think it was a bit shocking to everyone, uh, but I ended up uh, going to Duke loving it. Um, and from there was recruited and in some ways uh, brought out to the West Coast here in California to work with um, a youth and college ministry. Mm-hmm. And just again, uh, didn't never thought I would be the preaching pastor, but ended up leading a uh, worship service and uh, kind of out of that was asked to preach um, a, a church in Rancho Santa Margarita, which I did that for, um, gosh, five years. And then just now am, uh, kind of a new start restart at a building that's, um, it's a hundred years old, close to a hundred years old, which isn't old by British standards, but no. is old by California standards. We put a plaque <laughs> on things from the eighties. So <laughs> this thing is, this thing is old. Uh, and it's wow. in the middle of Costa Mesa. It was the first city our first church that was in the city. And so the congregation had dwindled down um, to about 27, um, worshiping between 17 to 25 most weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've been there since July, and we're up to sometimes 60 in worship. So a real diverse crowd, um, real artistic crowd, which is fun. The city itself of Costa Mesa is a really creative city. So it's fun to be uh, – I actually lived here for six and a half years um, while I was working in another uh, nearby 
community just because I loved the community that's here. So yeah, that's kind of my um, brief story and hitting some of the highlights of how on earth um, and I do speaking and writing currently in the middle of a book that will be released in April that's about story narrative and uses my art uh, as well as writing. So kind of doing a project that involves all of it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's awesome. That's an amazing story. Um, Yeah, I wanted to talk about um, and one of the themes of this podcast is spiritual. Is the intersection between spirituality and creativity, because I think they're inexorably linked. You know, um, and um, so there's a few like areas of creativity in your life, isn't there? I mean, like we'll, we'll talk about community a bit later. But first, the, the writing and the art. How does that kind of express itself, and how did that kind of journey begin? I think that. Um that journey for me began, art has been something I've done since I was a kid, um, and loved and, uh, didn't grow up necessarily ever thinking that art could be anything more than a hobby. Um, I have super practical family members. And so it was always like, Oh no, she's good at art. That'll be a great hobby for her. Um, and so, uh, I think from a very early age, I expressed myself in, um, you know, through drawing. One of my favorite stories is a story of a little girl who is, um, drawing in the corner and she's just drawing it's a Sunday school class and uh the guy the teacher comes up and says what are you drawing and she says I'm drawing God and he says well I'm sorry nobody knows what God looks like and she says well just a minute and they will um so I think like that idea of when we create we are so connected to the creator and we're expressing things in ways that um have never been expressed before. Um, and so kind of art has always been a part of me, um, visual art, um, acting art. And then I think the writing piece came a little bit, um, I kind of stumbled upon it. Uh, I, my story is, uh, somewhat unique. Uh, I don't necessarily follow the mold of a lot of pastors, uh, or, nor look Mm. like what I guess people think a pastor would look like. And so I was at a dinner party one time with a couple of friends of mine are, um, really pretty well-known writers. And so they invited me to a birthday party and I was at this birthday party and, uh, someone asked what I did, which is everyone's like favorite game is guess what Sarah does. And so all these people were guessing different things. And, uh, Finally, someone said, no, she's like a pastor, like a minister. And they were like, what? And then they started asking about, like, what's it like dating? Like, all this sort of weird stuff that you would ask someone like me who's a pastor. Um, And so finally, I uh, realized that all these people were sort of gathered around me asking questions. And this woman said, you have got to write a book. And uh, the fun part about it is, is that I had never wanted to write a book, but the uh, friends of mine who are authors were like, you have got to start writing. And so I think I had a lot of, um, insecurity about writing. Um, grammar is not anything that I am skilled at. And so, um, really just wanting to, um, I guess I was so, uh, worried about having it be perfect. And, uh, so kind of just started writing a blog cause a friend of mine was like, just start with a blog. Actually, uh, Mike McCurk was the one who was like, you gotta start with a blog. So I started writing a blog, um, and found that people were okay with the imperfections. And that's part of, um, part of who I am. And I write like I talk, which is not, you know, I had a teacher tell me one time mm. that you always put a period when you breathe in a sentence 
and I never breathe when I talk. And so that's why I don't have periods or commas or any sort of grammar in any of my writing. It's not my fault. <laughs> it's breathing fault. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the teacher, the first grade teacher. No. So yeah, that's kind of how I felt. I think the theme of my life really is I fall into things, sort of, uh, I tempt things and kind of let go of trying to be perfect in them and sort of end up creating things. I think I'm just a natural creator, you know, whether it's creating community or art or writing or whatever it is, I just like to create things. Yeah. What, what is, how is the creative work that you've done, like the art, you know, the, the drawing and the, the writing been an expression of your journey? And at the same time, how has it kind of unlocked things that were inside of you that you didn't really know were there? You know, um, it's interesting because the first book I wrote is actually not the one that's being published. Um, I wrote a book about um, sort of my, it's called uh, Always a Pastor, Never a Bride, the Spiritual Memoir for the Disappointed. Um, and it was writing kind of about my intersection of all the things that I had been told in Christianity once I was in college and um, how there was just this expectation of if you live this really good life, everything great happens to you. And that's not been my journey or the journey of people around me. But the interesting thing about the intersection of how that um, kind of happened is it really opened, as I started writing, um, as a way of sort of dealing with sort of some traumatic things that had happened in my life, I, um, I discovered that healing actually happened in the writing. Um, mm. And not only that, but I started to see things differently as I was writing it. Um, it was almost as if God and I were working through it, um, even in the typing. Um, it was a way of, um, I think sometimes when things are, are buried, you don't look at them and you don't, you're not able to get rid of them. So they're deeper and deeper, you know, the, um, idea of a beach ball, you know, you push it underwater and it, mm. uh, the more and more you try to ignore it, the more and more it, uh, it just gets, um, a deeper and harder thing. And so if you bring it to the light, it doesn't push up so much. And so a, a ball in water is always the way I look at it. So bringing things to the light and bringing things to the surface, I think is what um, writing has done for me. Um, and also the giant act of me too. I've been so surprised as I've been writing a blog, how many people have said, this is actually my story and I haven't really been able to give words to it. And now that you have, I can, I can process it and look at it. So I hope yeah. that answers your question. No, that's a great answer to the question. Yeah, I mean, that's what I've found with writing. I've been writing for a while. I've been blogging for about 10, 11 years. And um, I just finished just finished my first book, Ready to be Published, and I'm writing another one. And I always find that writing is something that is... It's both healing and therapeutic, but also it actually unlocks things that were there that I didn't know were there, you know. Mm -hmm. um, that it kind of confronts things that I did know were there, but it also shows me things that weren't that I didn't know were there. And you bring healing and give healing that way. And I think all art can do that actually. Um, yeah. It's like it's something deep within you and if you don't um, if you don't get it out, um, it just sort of sits in there. I think uh, I had an art teacher in high school and I wasn't turning in enough art projects <laughs> because I was so worried about getting it right. Oh yeah, yeah. So I would, I was in um, a really neat gifted art program in high school. And so I would just, she said, Sarah, you know, I, I know how you are academically and you turn things in constantly, but in here, you're not, you're not creating enough. Like you're not, your grades aren't going to be good because you're not turning things in. What you're doing is excellent, but why aren't you turning things in? And so I sort of expressed to her, like, 
I just don't feel like I'm ever done. And she said, well, that's the life of an artist. You're never done. And that's what makes you keep creating. So your last writing piece, you're like, oh, that just wasn't quite what I wanted. And then you do the next one and and the next one and the next one. So it's this constant pursuit of the creative uh, process. It's never finished. And so Mm. that was really helpful and freeing for me is to be like, oh, okay. Um, I'm always working on it. I'm always discovering something new I want to create and be a part of. Yeah, that's right. It's like, I mean, so much of writing creativity is about it reflects our lives, doesn't it? Our art reflects our lives. Like our, our lives are kind of like unfinished pieces, you uh-huh. know. And we keep creating new new things in our lives. We keep creating new parts of our lives. We keep telling a new story with our lives. And what we find is when we get to... We think, we, we think we're meant to be going to one place. When we get to that place, we actually realize we're not finished. And there's a whole other place we need to go to. Um, you, you know, some artists will start out and they'll have exactly what they want to be done, hmm. right? So they know exactly in their head exactly what it looks like. Um, and I think some people live their lives that way too, right? They know this is what it looks like. I, um, The process is part of the creation for me. And so even if I think I know kind of what I'm headed toward, just things happen, accidents, happy accidents, or, or moments where I'm like, oh, maybe if I, if I do it this way or that way. And I think for mm-hmm. me, I never know where I'm going to land. And that's with writing or with art. Um, you know, with writing a little bit more because there will be a point I'm trying to get to. But um, mm. with art, um, when I'm allowed some space, I, I just really feel like it's interesting because I feel like uh, even in spirituality, when I look at it, for me, the story of Jesus is the story of interruption. So Jesus, yeah. we don't really know like ever where he was going. We just know he was always interrupted along the way. <laughs> and then we hear these great stories and then that becomes the story. And I think that's what art Art is about constantly being interrupted by a new muse or a new image or a, mm. you can't do it the way you wanted to, whatever it is. And I mm. think that's the beauty of seeing our story and art as very similar. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I completely agree. Um, I think that it's like when we're creating art, it's like there's never anything... It's always there's not so much unexpected, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, you like I've got like I have, I'm working on one project, and then suddenly something comes into my head completely different, and I'm like, oh, this actually doesn't belong in this project. It belongs in another project, but that hasn't even started right. yet, you know. So it's just completely unexpected, and then I end up like, oh, I've got actually now I've got like I think I've got three or four book ideas in different folders in my computer. Like, which have come, and most of them came out of, I was writing for another project, or I thought uh-huh. I was, and then it's like, oh, but no, this is something completely different, you know, and now I've got all these, all these other projects which I'm excited about, which, but I can't write them yet, because I've still got to write the one that I'm writing right now. You right. Know? And, and I think that, that's the way it is, and there's always something more. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's why I love creativity. It's like, yeah, it's never, never finished. Um, never. Um, yeah, so... Um, yeah, let's talk about creativity and community because obviously one of the one of your major roles is as a pastor, um, mm-hmm. and you know community is also to do with people and people are creative people, and we've all got these stories going on, um, mm-hmm. and but growing a church in a sense, creating community is a creative a creative act. Um, right. So how do you express your creativity? 
in doing that and how how does um, how do you use creative processes to to help create community and cultivate community I think um, one of the, the things that's um, interesting is some people say they're not creative um, I don't know if you ever hear that um, I've heard but, that before yeah yeah People will say, well, I'm not creative. Um, yeah. And the truth is, is everyone's creative. They're just creative in different ways. Yes, right? absolutely. Yeah, completely. So I have friends who are phenomenal at creating, um, uh, like, massive and amazing spreadsheets. That is mm. not my gifting. Nobody wants me to do, like, I love a nice spreadsheet. I think that's great. But that is not, that is not what I am meant mm. to do and so <laughs> no me for, <laughs> that's not my calling so for, <laughs> for me um as I create community it's helping people unleash their creativity whatever it looks like mm. um and then honoring that and saying that is a god-given gift you have um and I think it's also um one of the biggest gifts that we have is the ability to authentically be ourselves mm. um and so if we are, if I am authentically myself, it frees other people up to be themselves. So the fact that I'm me in ministry mm. um, has been something that folks have shared with me and said, I feel like I can be me in the faith when I see you being you. Um, and, it, and it's such a simple thing, but um, so many people are playing the role of pastor or create like they this is what I think it's supposed to look like right and they're maybe mimicking and I think we always have a little bit of mimicking that we do and I think that's how we figure things out you know there's a great book called still like an artist and I think it's absolutely true but I think once we sort of figure out who we are and we're sort of not unapologetically ourselves but mm. just comfortable in like you know for me when I preach uh I preach with a, a flair of creativity I um, share things that have to do with um, who I am as a person. And I, I think that um, frees folks up. And what's been really interesting is um, the sermons when I have given part of myself to it, maybe told a story that I wouldn't necessarily think makes me look great, um, are the moments when people go, there's sort of a relief and a release where you just see people's shoulders go down and they're like, oh, this is a space where I can be and do and um, be myself. So it, it allows people to do that. I think also getting really excited about other people's creativity or, or moments of creation. You know, there's all these people who, again, like don't think they're creative. And when you can point it out in themselves, like that's really interesting that you don't think you're creative, but I notice like everywhere you go, you create community. That's so different. You have to understand you can create space. That's your creative outlet. And mm. people oftentimes are uh, shocked to hear that. Um, so it's just the thing of saying, like, I think this is the thing you've been given to do. Um, and it's awesome. You know, I know one pastor who he can, like, create systems. Like, he could create – he could take, like, a random group of humans, like, artists that are hard to, like, herd, like, sh you know, just, like, herding cats. And he can create systems for it. And he would say he could never paint or write or do any of that stuff. Man, I am so jealous of his ability to create systems because they're needed. It's needed in the world. You know, it's the idea of being mm. the body and how we're all, all different parts. So I think if you, like, share that from the pulpit. You know, I started at this new congregation just in July, and we started with a series um, actually based on the writing I was doing. Just, like, what's our story going to be? What are we writing together? 
because everybody's writing a story. So what is the story of this church? And what is it going to look like? And if we already know where we want it to head, how do we get there? What's the story arc going to be? And for people to sort of talk about the uh, creativity within them and reading the Bible, even in a way that's creative, that talks about, okay, well, what do you see in that? Um, I think it's, it's helpful for people to start to really investigate who they are. And that kind of brings out the creative side of them. So you're constantly affirming people and um, trying to plug people in. But it's it's not easy. <laughs> all the time. Yeah, well, no, obviously, yeah, because people are, because we're all human beings, so we're all kind of imperfect and we're all different as well, you know. And it must be a challenge as well, like, I guess, because there's different people who who believe, who believe different things about God. Mm-hmm. Different, you know, um, and being a woman leader in, in, a, in church as well, that's good. I suppose there's challenges which come along with being that, with doing that as well. You know, um, so how do you kind of balance all of that and still manage to bring everyone together behind something, something bigger? Um, I think the answer is, I've sort of been reflecting on this a lot lately, is, um, I have really good friends (laughs) (laughs) who, uh, who are able to, um, when I have been critiqued or, because I'm, I'm one of these people who always believes that um, you have to at least listen to criticism for a moment. I'm not saying you always have to agree with your critics, but for a moment, you listen and you think, you reflect, is that me, is it not me? And um, so being a woman in ministry, there there is a lot of criticism. Um, mm. Being a woman in leadership, just in how our world is, even in 2016, there is a lot of expectation that comes from both males and females about what a female leader is to look like and be. And so sometimes there is... Um, criticism or expectation, you know, um, that is not uh, necessarily helpful. And so for me, and that, what that does is it ends the creative process. When you are, um, when people are critical of you and you, and you live in that space of like, oh, you know, is this, it shuts you down as an artist, as a speaker, as whatever it is, you just all of a sudden exist and is that who I am? So I have been blessed, I think, in many ways to have a community that surrounds me um, because I can call and say, hey, this person said this thing, or um, oftentimes uh, I, I can be a little sensitive with, without knowing that I am, and um, mm-hmm. I have a wonderful gift of, um, if you know the Enneagram at all, I'm mm-hmm. like a solid need to be needed, so I can, everything can always be my fault. I'm really good at making everything my fault, um, and so I have friends who will just say, Sarah, that's, that has nothing to do with you. You didn't bring that in the room. That's not who you are. Um, and so I think that is what keeps me afloat um, and keeps me going uh, are, are folks in my life who just speak, like, really great, um, helpful things into my life um, mm-hmm. and keep me sort of aware of who I really am and what my identity really is. Yeah, that's really, really important. One of the I'm writing a book about identity at the moment, and one of the things that one of the, I've got a whole chapter devoted to um, the fact that we need to have people around us who will tell us the truth and yes. people who love us and people who are invested in us and who are for us and want us to thrive you know and don't don't want to don't don't have anything to gain from what whatever happens to us they they just care about us and want us to thrive and they'll tell us the truth so if we're you know so if we're being successful they'll tell us if we're being an idiot you know <sighs> if everyone is saying we're great they'll tell us if we're being an idiot and if we fail if we have a failure and everyone's telling us we're losers they'll tell us 
you're not a loser. Actually, you're really great. You know, they'll just it's, tell us. It's, that a great, it's a great measure, I think. When I was a youth pastor, I um, always used to tell them about my best friend, Carla. And I said, everyone needs to have a best friend, Carla. And um, I have several best friends, but Carla has been my best friend since we were in high school. And Carla mm-hmm. is this wonderful human. But I knew I was a little more... Um, I would kind of go to parties and things and Carla wasn't into that. And I knew that if I was in a situation that I wouldn't want to tell Carla about, I was in the wrong situation. (laughs) And that is a a funny thing to measure yourself by. But now even, you know, as we're older, I think Carla be proud of me in this moment. (laughs) Like (laughs) She's someone I so look up to. And I think she's, even though we're, you know, we're peers and she's great and she's the least, the best part of it all is she's not judgmental at all. Mm -hmm. And yet I would be, embarrassed or ashamed to tell her things and so I was like if I'm if I'm in that situation and I think that's helpful to have those people and I also think we have really great examples of people who don't have anyone who's a truth teller in their lives you know um Mm, yeah and I've known some stars who have gotten you know just living where I live you know I know some folks who literally just have people who tell them how great they are and we see that with basketball players too or, or professional athletes same thing no one tells them no and their lives are a mess um, because that's not healthy nor any way that we're meant to live. So having people who are truth tellers in your life is one of the biggest gifts. When you realize that someone um, can absolutely love you and tell you you're being a jerk, it is um, mm. it's wonderful. We don't need people who just constantly tell us how great we are. We also need people who say, huh, that one was a little off, out of your character, you know? Yeah. Um, and I've experienced that. I, I remember um, someone had said, something um oh someone had said something very similar to like you're you know you're kind of a a bit of a cult leader you're a little emotionally manipulative meaning like people really like you and that's a problem and I I remember just being devastated like am I emotionally manipulating people and am I using my woo factor and I remember just being sort of like um a little overly critical of myself and I called one of my best friends and he said Sarah Let's look at your history. It's okay that you want to, like, take in this critique. He said, how, how many years have you and I been friends? I said, well, we've been friends for about 10 years. He's like, right. I don't really put up with emotionally manipulative people. I wouldn't be in your life if you were anything like this. And then he started listing all these people in my life, and he was like, so I don't really think you're emotionally manipulative. But it did. It took a day of me feeling like I can't put anything out there. I can't create. I can't do anything because I'm manipulating people. And really, when it came down to it and went, um, my friend John helped me see is like, it was actually about the other person. Um, so not only do we need people who point out the jerkiness in us, but people who point out that like, maybe it's not you, yeah. especially us uh, on the Enneagram who think everything is our fault. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm a number five on the Enneagram, but I'm not quite expert enough in the Enneagram to know what that actually means. But yeah, <laughs> I'm kind of like five and six, both or five and four, I think, but the, the, so get the same score. Exactly. For both, so there's not like, because you know on the Enneagram, and we'll talk about the Enneagram on, the, on another episode of the podcast, but um, there's like, you have one, which is your top one, and then you have another one, which is your wing. A wing, yeah. Yeah, which is quite funny. Um, but, um, so I don't, I don't kind of, I don't have a wing, like, I've got like two, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm two people, yeah. <laughs> Yes, there's a Jimmy right. and there's a James. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh, don't go there. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh. Oh, this is so good. So good. Um. So. So where do you where where 
Uh, um, yeah, it's it's interesting because um, there's a that's the thing about platform building is that you know there's a lot of Christians who have a big platform and right. um, over time I've started to learn how to discern the ones who have people telling them the truth and people who don't uh-huh. because there's a real danger even with even as a Christian where you know you start to be successful and you start to get, to get used to everyone telling you how great you are and how right you are uh-huh. and even if you don't intend even if you're a good person and you don't intend it to be that way you can start to subconsciously start to think you're right and that everybody else is wrong and that anyone who criticizes you even constructively and helpfully and respectfully is just like trying to attack you and um so that's why i think it's really really important for anybody even with the smaller platform to have those like anybody to have those truth tellers in their life who will just keep them grounded because ultimately we're not it's not about it shouldn't be about us really you know um that's the like awkward part i think about building a platform as a christian Right. Yeah. So I, I struggle with that. In fact, I get in trouble a lot from my friends who are marketing people. They're like, we got to get you out there more. Um, and it, it is a really difficult thing for me because I, in fact, I, I got some critique from uh, folks. The United Methodist Church is generally like, it needs to be about the church and not about the pastor, you know? And so mm. you just constantly have that um, in you. And yet, um, a lot of churches were asking me to come and speak around the nation or whatever. And, um, and so it was great and I was getting to do things, but I did feel the sense of like, but what about the, lo- and the local church is so important to me. And so mm. I was experiencing a lot of, you know, sort of one side was telling me it needs to totally be about your ministry. And, um, another side telling me you need to create this large platform so more people can hear you. And I was sort of, uh, in the tension of both of those. Um, mm. and then, and then someone actually said to me, I feel like some people come to church cause they just like you. And that's like my biggest fear, right? When you're, when you're, you're like, uh, I don't, what? <laughs> and then as I was talking mm. to my one friend who is very intelligent, uh, he said, Sarah, how did Jesus do it? I was like, what do you mean? How did Jesus do it? And he was like, people liked Jesus. Then they knew God. So it's okay if people like you. <laughs> like that's kind yeah. of the point. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's okay if people, um, if they, even if that's like the first reasons that they're coming to something is they're like, she was really warm and really welcoming, and I I want to be around her more. What is that about? And then it transitions into hmm. uh, church is a good thing for me. This works for me. Um, but it, it, to point out to me that Jesus did it through one-on-one relationship and through building a platform was really helpful because I think I sometimes uh can fall back on the old model of churches like it's all about growing the name of the church or growing the name of the faith and um and then which is great but I think it's more about um using this gifts and skills that God has given you and then pointing towards God um and so you know it's not all about me but yes who I am comes into part of it you know yeah Um, I can never be anything but me (laughs) and so I think that that was really helpful for me to think about like wait a minute Jesus had a bit of a platform yeah I'm still really not good at like you know the all the marketing stuff like I have one good friend who's like in January you're you you are going to go through a marketing (laughs) like 
session because you are not a platform builder and I'm not <laughs> just like email lists, things like that. I just, uh, I think they're great and I love sharing my work and what I'm doing, but I'm not necessarily a promoter. Um, that's just not who I am. <laughs> yeah, I'm, 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 I'm exactly the same. I'm, I'm, I'm meeting, with, I'm um, going to have, going to be having some sessions with um, a marketing person to help market my book and, and to help, uh, launch some stuff that some work that I want to do and you know I'm not a marketer by naturally either I I kind of feel guilty about you know putting my work out there every time I kind of promote something I feel like I'm being fake yeah. or something you know and um but I'm having I've had to learn that marketing can there's a there's a way to do marketing which has integrity and which yes. is honest and that's just and part of that is telling them it's just sharing your story and invite people into your story, and um, and then and just um, being honest about who you are, and just mm-hmm. saying you know, and there is a cost to creating work and putting it out in the world. You know, it costs something to make something. You know, it costs money to print books. It costs money to it costs time to it costs us time to make those books. You know, yeah. Um, and that's that's just a reality, which is difficult because, like, especially as Christians, it's like oh, we're not meant to make money out of what we do you know it's like money's evil yeah. you know like but um yeah it's a real challenge as a as someone who does creative work and puts it out into the world for the real and then point. you throw in the like christian aspect of it and it's just another layer right of like yeah. oh i don't know that i should be promoting what i'm doing although if it brings freedom and grace and joy to someone mm. then it's absolutely it needs to be out there and so um it's it's building a platform or marketing yourself it's a necessary it's not evil but it's a necessary thing uh, to share what you do and then I kind of uh really do believe in kind of letting it go and seeing what it'll do but again you know what it totally requires those people in your life who whether you have three followers that includes your mom or you have like ten thousand followers because they'll turn on you in a second Mm. um and so having people who really know you and um kind of listening to them above um i think is really so that's the thing i always tell people is to be discerning about the people who are close to you um, and then maintain those friendships, maintain mm. those, you know, we have a group of people who, um, I met about five years ago. Um, Mike McKirk's one of them and, uh, we met and they are, they're my people. They're my church in some ways. Um, because I don't get to do church as a pastor in some ways mm. in the same way that other people do. And mm. so they're the people that whether I have just put out crap or I have put out something that like you know, is awe-inspiring, and usually I don't know the difference, right, when you're creating it and putting mm-hmm. it out, you have no idea how people are going to react, they're still my people, and uh, my cheerleaders, um, so I think that's, I think it's key, I'm glad you're writing on that, identity is awesome, that's a really great topic right now. Yeah, yeah I learned yeah. it, I learned that lesson yeah. through experience, <laughs> mostly, <laughs> to be perfectly honest, you know, I kind of, um, I had to take a break from, uh, from public writing for a while, because I, I got kind of lost in the whole kind of platform building kind of thing, and it affected me. It affected me personally. It affected my, it affected uh, my writing as well. And luckily, I had good friends who told me the truth. You see, and it's because those friends told me the truth that I actually, I just I stopped doing it. And 
in the process I kind of found my voice a little bit and found myself uh, found my soul I think um, and I just learned lessons in that time and I wanted to share them with people because I think it's important you know and it's not talked about enough those kind of things so um, I had the most amazing conversation with uh, we were at this uh, like church building platform yeah. like how to exponential it's called it's like how to build your church which it was fine <laughs> it was <laughs> odd because I was the only female in one of the pastor rooms that was different um, but one of the, the people that I have been blessed to have in my community is uh, a young guy who has gotten his uh, master's in um, spiritual direction mm-hmm. and he has joined our community and he's phenomenal and him and I were talking about this whole idea of identity because we've tried to like tell people they need to put their identity on the shelf and like it's not necessarily the idea of like don't become um don't you know because in the, especially in the west we're very individualistic so that's not what he's talking about but he said something really interesting about you know love your neighbor as yourself what if you don't know who you are mm. love your neighbor as yourself i don't love myself i don't even know who i am um and so his whole point is like that's a that's a a bigger statement than we make it to be so we usually just like focus on like i'm gonna care for my neighbor because that's easy to be honest figuring out who your neighbor is and caring for them it's not i mean it's not easy but that's the easier part of that sentence yeah the harder part is like yeah oh it's assumed i love myself but guess what to love myself i have to know myself like and there are parts of us that are icky and we don't want to know like if i can just like put some makeup on that that'd be great yeah there's like yeah there's two commandments in that verse it's not just one commandment it's like it's not it's not just love your neighbor like the love your neighbor bit we always take it to mean like love the whole thing is just one but it's not it's like love yourself as well like you know make sure you love yourself because if you love yourself if you don't love yourself you can't love other people no and that's like a, a sentence that we just say easily but from marriages that are falling apart to friendships that are, you know, not working um, to people who are, you know, a lot of times uh, celebrities and people like that are just trying to figure out how to love themselves because they're going from applause to applause to applause. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's their moment where for a minute I like myself and then I just got to work to get back to liking myself. Um, you know, I used to take uh, I did acting for a little while and I would go up to Burbank once a week to take acting classes and there were always these, like, incredibly, if you were to see them on the outside, incredibly beautiful people. Um, but before class, because I had to drive up there in, in my world, you have to figure out, based on traffic, when to get somewhere. So you leave really earlier. Um, so I just go and work on sermons and stuff in the coffee shop that was attached to the theater. And um, oftentimes, people from the class would come and sit and chat with me. And it was so interesting, these people that from the outside, you would look at them and just be like, they just must, can you imagine looking in the mirror and seeing that every day? Like, you, you would just take on the world. And they were absolutely hated themselves or mm-hmm. didn't know themselves or were just trying to figure out, you know, because every day they go to, a, uh, you know, an audition in here. You're not this, you're not that, you're not this, you're not that. And so without, for many of them, they didn't have that faith piece that kind of holds their identity. Like for us, our identity is in Christ and the, and so we have this thing that we can hold on to for them. It's like my achievement or what I'm doing. And, um, sometimes even in the faith, that's what we become about. Like how many people like the thing I just did and that's our identity. And that's when we have to fall back into knowing ourselves. So, 
It's yeah. really interesting. These people that you would think just must be so happy aren't. Mm. Yeah, it's funny because it, I had an interview with uh, Josh Wagner, who was on How I Met Your Mother, um, mm. which is massive. Um, and he was on this podcast, and it was so refreshing because this is a guy who's been really successful and well-known and everything, and doesn't have an ego whatsoever. He hasn't got hasn't bought into celebrity culture. He hasn't let fame change who he is. You know, he seems to mm-hmm. be grounded in something that's deeper than just than just like what he does and what people think of him. And it's so rare to see somebody like that. And it's magnet, isn't it? Magnetic. You just want to be around them. Yeah, exactly. It's like I like, I just like him. You know, mm-hmm. um, I want to hear what he's got to say about things, like because he's been through the whole thing. He's, you know, he's got more money than he could spend. Whatever, you know, everyone knows who he is, and and you know, it didn't complete him or save him or make his life whole or whatever. And you know, now he's got a, now that's over, and he's got to do something else. And if he didn't. If his, if his security was just in that fame, then mm-hmm. he, he'd crash. That's probably mm-hmm. why so many celebrities get depression, is because, you know, they realise that actually, oh, this isn't going to solve the problem that's deep inside of me. And It's really neat to be around an unanxious presence of someone who's not trying to prove anything. Mm. Who's just yeah. trying to create. Um, who's just trying to be, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, why didn't people love to be around Mother Teresa? She wasn't trying to build a platform. Um, no. But <laughs> there was something about this just unanxious presence that certain people have, and you yeah. just want to be around it. Yeah. People who are comfortable in their own skin, and whether that skin is great or not, and, and especially in California, we don't know what to do with that. When people are just so, like, unapologetically themselves and not trying to be this perfect thing, um, mm. it is absolutely brings you into like you want to know their story like how did you get here and usually like you were sharing a minute ago it's because they experienced oh wait this isn't anything Hmm. they experienced that sort of dark night of the soul or whatever it is they experienced that moment and I think probably for him um before or during how I met your mother there was a realization that like this is this is a thing that will be a thing for a while and I'm glad that I have this thing but that isn't who I am Hmm. yeah yeah, like yeah, and it's it's attractive, isn't it? When that, and I mean that, that that's one thing. The, the other thing I've been writing about my first book is about grace and like mm. uh, how we need to put our security in the fact that we're enough, that we belong, that we're lovable, that we you know just as we are, and that when we do that, um, that frees us to create the life we want to create. It frees us to create the work we want to create without fear of what the consequences are, because if we have a failure, then, well, it doesn't matter because my security was never in that work I was doing anyway. It was never in any, my, that relationship or that, or, or money or that status or anything like that. It was, I, I'm enough anyway. If that succeeds or fails, it doesn't change the fact that I'm enough. And, and it's a journey. I think sometimes we understand that we're enough and most days we don't. <laughs> yeah, I, I completely agree. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's not like you get to a point and suddenly realise I'm enough. You have to keep mm-hmm. uh, telling yourself, yeah, for sure. Oh, um, yeah. Well, thank you for, for coming on. This has been a really, really great chat. I really enjoyed oh, it. You're welcome. I um, really enjoyed it too. Um, yeah. 
definitely. Yeah, we'll have you back sometime as well, especially when the book comes out. Talk, come talk, we can come back and talk about the book. That'd be great. Yeah, hopefully that will get done. No, it will get done. It's one of those things where uh, the publisher had it on Amazon, and I was like, well, that's interesting. I am not done the last chapter. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they like resale it, and I have all these friends who are. I, the one thing I have is like friends are just supportive. Um, and so they're like, oh my gosh, I ordered your book. And I'm like, oh no, let <laughs> me finish it. No, you always know you're going to finish it, but I'm definitely in that like, turn it all in, get it all done. <laughs> and then I started a new church, whatever. That's normal. Yeah. yeah. Normal. That's That's normal. Do. <laughs> yeah. What most people do. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, all right, everyone. Well, thanks for listening. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this and learned a lot as much as I have. Um, take care and, um, we'll talk soon.